0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Father, thank you for this hour, this time we have to to look into your word, I pray in the Holy Spirit that you would instruct us, Father, bless us during this time. Use us to your glory and honor, and we thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen. God is good. That is point number 18 on your study sheets. God is good. Uh, A.W. Tozier writes, The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial benevolent and full of goodwill toward men he is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open frank and friendly by his nature he is inclined to bestow blessedness and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people god is good Jesus said there's none good but God. Uh, Any of my my former students, high school students in in the room here this morning? I don't think so. Uh, We used to, uh, I used to have a thing when they would come up to me and I'd say, how are you? And they'd say, I'm good. I used to say, no, you're not. Because Jesus said there's none good but one, and that's God. So you, you can't be good. And I used to tell them, "Beside, good is not a is not a state of being verb. The answer is, you are what? You are well. Yes. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Not good, because you can't be good, because there's none good, but God. God. Good, defined, is to be free from fault or corruption. So right there, we we know that we, we can't be good, because to be good is to be free from fault or corruption. It means... To be good means not depreciable. Jesus declared there is none good but God. That's the first point under point number 18 on your study sheets. Jesus declared there is none good but God. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 17, we read, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master... What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus declared that there is none good but God. So we need to understand that this morning that by our nature, we're not good. Now, we like to think we're good, right? We like to pat ourselves on the back. I can't pat myself on the back anymore. I used to be able to, but I can't do that anymore. Age has has ruined these shoulders. I have arthritis, and I can't reach around behind me anymore. If you're going to attack me, that's the place to get me, is from behind. But we want to feel like we're good, but in, the, in this concept, now, as we as we gauge ourselves among society, maybe there are some good people. Yes, I would agree with that. There are there are people that try to live good and and try to do the right things. But when we when we boil it down to our nature, we're not good. Have you ever Have you ever for a moment thought something and you stopped and you said, "Whoa, where did that come from?" That's because. The Bible teaches that in the heart of man lives evil and lives lives wickedness. Evil imaginations continually enter into our minds. So we need to know this morning, we need to understand that there is none good but God. But secondly, I want to say that God's goodness is enduring. It's enduring. Psalm 23 and verse 6, surely goodness and mercy... Shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For Evner. How, how long does God's goodness last? Forever. It's, it's enduring. It, it never ends. We used to sing a song. God is good all the time. And that's true. God is always good. I remember. When my daughter was first married, her and her husband and they were, you know, going through the, the early marital pressures of finances and money and things like that. And, and something came along and she was so excited. and She said, Daddy, God is so good. I said, you're right. God is good. But I said, God is good even if you didn't get that blessing. He's still good. Do you know when we go through difficult times, God is still good? When we when our when our, our our stack of bills is this high and our stack of money is this high, God is still good. When we suffer from illness, God is still good. God is, God's goodness is enduring. It never ends. And, by the way, it never fails. Remember, we have to look at good from God's perspective, not from our perspective. F- to us, bad things are not good. Right? We don't we don't we don't feel like when we're having problems and when we're having troubles, we don't wake up in the morning and and, and feel good. We don't feel like things are going well. Good for us. We we just don't feel that way. But But we need to understand that God is always good. Therefore, whatever we're going through is good in the eyes of God. Because God sees it in a perspective that we do not. God's goodness is enduring. It will outlast your hard times. It will outlast your difficulties. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. And stay focused on Jesus Christ. But then thirdly, God's goodness is satisfying. In Psalm 65, in verse 4, we read, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. God's goodness is satisfying. I I I've been thinking about how to illustrate this and I have I have a difficult time doing that because it's hard for us to find joy in the midst of troubles. It really is. It's easy as a preacher to stand here and say, "Well, we can find joy even in difficulties. We can find joy even in the in the dark hours." It's easy to stand here and say that, but you know, when you're, when you're in the midst of a storm, it's hard to find joy. It's hard to feel satisfied. I remember years ago, I was with my father. My father used, used to be really good at getting us into tight spots. I mean, he was really good at that. And he had, a, he had built himself a shrimp boat. And it cost us more money to go catch the shrimp ourselves than it did to buy them. I always argued at that point, Dad, you know, it costs us more to go get them than it does if you go down, buy them at the dock. Oh, no, that's not true. But we were out there one day and a storm came up on us. And if you've, if you've spent any time on the water, you know storms come up quickly. And we were several miles out in the Gulf of Mexico. Probably in a spot where we shouldn't have been with his boat. And a storm came up between us and the shore. And we only had one direction we could go. We couldn't go further out. So we had to head home. Had to head in. And now dad's boat wasn't small. It was 20 foot long. It was a good sized boat. Had a sleeping cabin and, and, and everything. And um, as, we, as we, he was making his way through that storm... Uh, I got scared. I got really scared. I was only about 13, maybe 14 years old. I was terrified. The waves were so, the waves were almost as tall as this, this room. And when, when his boat would go down in between two waves, uh, down in the trough, you look to the, to the front, all you see is water. You look to the back, all you see was water. It was horrifying. I could picture myself dead in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. I was terrified. And, I have to tell you, I was not satisfied. I didn't find any joy in that moment. I, I went down into the sleeping cabin and i i got I got down in a ball down in the bow of the boat, and and I was terrified. And I looked up through the through the cab through the door of the cabin, and I saw my dad sitting in the pilot's chair. And my dad was a good he was he was a good uh, seaman. He knew how to operate the boat. And he looked down through there at me and he smiled. He just smiled. And he said, it's going to be okay. And so, I came out of the cabin and stood next to his chair and held on to that chair. And just kept looking up at my dad. And he was whistling and he was working that boat. And he was not nervous at all. And you know, I felt calm. I felt calm because... I was reassured by my father. And folks, when we're when we're in difficult times, we just need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Don't look at what's happening around you because that's going to that's going to discourage you. Don't look at how bad things are in your home right now. Don't look at how bad things are on your job. Don't look at how bad things are with your finances. Just keep your eyes on God and do all that you can do to glorify him and to honor him and to obey him. And I promise you, you'll find joy. God is good all the time. God is never, ever. And, and what did he promise us? That he would never what? Leave us. Nor would he ever Forsake us. Even if the trials of this life overtake me and cost me my life, God still won't forsake me. He won't forget me. He won't leave my soul in hell. God is good all the time. So remember that. But not only is God good, but number 19, I want to state this morning that God is merciful. God is merciful. In Psalm 62, in verse 12, we read, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work." Mercy is defined as compassion or forbearance shown to an offender or to one subject to another's power. Mercy is defined as leniency or compassionate treatment. Mercy is that eternal principle of God's nature which leads him to seek the temporal good and eternal salvation of those who have opposed themselves to his will, even at the cost of infinite self-sacrifice. Mercy. I always tell people, be careful what you ask for. Sometimes people come up to me and say, well, you know what? I deserve better. I've had Christians tell me that with you. I deserve better. Well, you better be careful about demanding what you deserve. Because this morning, we deserve eternal damnation. That's all we've ever earned for ourselves. We've never earned anything else. Now, I'm born again this morning. I'm I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm one of God's elect saints. But that's not because of me. That's by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's by God himself. You see, his mercy does not demand of me what I I should pay. God's mercy allows me to be forgiven. And so as we go through our life, we don't want to pray that God give us what we deserve... We want to pray that God grant to us all of his will. That's what we want. We want the will of God. We want the will of God. Sometimes that will isn't easy. It can be very difficult. I'm sure everyone in this room could, could share a testimony of some hardship that we've endured in, in our lives. That could have been so much worse if it were not for the mercy of God. So we need to remember that God is merciful. Now i got a few things, thoughts about God's mercy. First of all, God's mercy is abundant. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's mercy never runs out. It's abundant. You'll never use up all of God's mercy. In fact, God's mercy is working in your life constantly, every minute of every day. I mean, think about it. We're we're standing on a chunk of rock, hurling through space. I don't even know how fast the earth moves, but it moves pretty quick. It spins on its axis at a thousand miles per hour. I mean, think about it for a moment. What's keeping us on the ground? Well, it's the will of God. What's keeping all of those asteroids out there I've I've heard I've heard I've seen on I, I told you before I like to watch science shows I don't believe any of it but I like to watch them anyway. But I've seen these pictographs of all of the asteroids they've identified and you know what that there must be millions of asteroids out there in space. What keeps them and every other planet by the way every other planet gets struck by by asteroids constantly. What keeps the Earth from getting showered by asteroids. It's, it's the will of God. It's the mercy of our creator. Everything that we face in life has the potential for disaster, but it is the mercy of God that orders our steps and that keeps us moving and moving safely along. God's mercy is abundant. It's its, it's always Around us. But not only is it abundant. But secondly. God's mercy is everlasting. First Chronicles 16.34. Oh give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> God's mercy will never run out. Now you know what? <clears throat> Our mercy runs out. As a parent. Raising children. Don't look at me like that. Your, mer- your mercy runs out, doesn't it? You say, that's it. That's it. You're in for it now. But God never says that to you and me. He doesn't. His mercy is everlasting. Never runs out. Now, if you were like me, you probably forced your parents' mercy to run out. I could tell you some stories, but I'm not going to. But God's mercy is everlasting next. God's mercy is plenteous. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Sometimes I I hear even Christian people say, well, God punished me. God doesn't punish his children. He chastises us. But he doesn't... You see, we we can't have this idea that God is sitting in heaven trying to make every rule he can to make us as miserable as possible. And every time we mess up, he's standing right there to jerk something away from us or punish us, put us on our knees, send us to a timeout, whatever. No. No. God's mercy is plenteous. It's just, as, it's just as available, just as abundant today as it was yesterday, and it will be again tomorrow. God's mercy is plenteous. But not only that, but next, God's mercy is tender. Psalm 103 and verse 4 Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness, and tender mercies you ever you ever heard a child referred to as a child that only a mother could love huh i used to in the school i used to tell my teachers <laughs> every every year before school started we we'd meet together and have like an in-service training i'd tell them all the same thing now You've got to be able to love the unlovable. You've got to be able to show mercy and kindness to that student that is going to try every nerve in your body. And uh, we all know what, what that is. We've all experienced it, right? Everybody has. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you work with someone that just, when you see them walk through the door, you go, oh. I've got some, listen, there are some people where I work, if I see them far enough down the hallway coming my way, I turn around and go the other way. Because I don't want to have to deal with that person. But God is tender. He's so He's so patient with us. I, I can't tell you I can't tell you how many times in my Christian life I've had, I've had to come to God and say, Father, I'm sorry, forgive me. I've been a fool. I, I've been so foolish. And God is so tender. And his love is so tender. That I, 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 not literally, but in a sense, I feel his arms around me. And I feel him loving and embracing me. I talked a little bit about it last Sunday morning. Uh, the the um, prodigal son. Scriptures say that the father saw him afar off. The reason he saw him afar off is because he was watching for him. And when he saw him, he didn't stand there and go, "Hmm, okay, I knew you'd come back. I knew it. Well, you're going to pay for it, boy. Uh, you get back over here. I'm gonna. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna send you back to the back end of the fields, and I'm gonna make you do all the dirty work." You're going to pay for what you did. That's not what he did. He ran to his son. He saw him afar off. He ran to him. He embraced him. And he kissed him on the neck. And when his son said, Father, I've sinned against you. And and I, I deserve to be as one of your hired servants. What did he say? He said, bring, bring forth a robe and... and Put sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. And, and, and kill the fatted calf. For this my son was dead. Now is he alive again. Listen. God's mercy. For you. Toward you and I. Are tender. And we need to keep our heart tender to God. You need to come to God daily. Every day. You should approach the Lord and. And ask for forgiveness. And ask for cleansing. And and strive to, to emulate Christ in our daily lives. We're going to fail. We're going to fail miserably. But we need to strive. So God is good. And God is merciful. But then number 20 this morning. God is gracious. Psalm 111 verse 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The very simplest definition of this beautiful attribute of God, his graciousness, is this. Unmerited favor. In other words, mercy is God withholding from us that which we deserve. Grace is God giving to us that which we do not deserve. Don't mistake mercy and grace. As I just said, God's mercy allows him to withhold merited punishment. But God's grace allows him to freely bestow unmerited favor. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Namely, judgment, punishment, hell. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Eternal life. Heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, we read, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, Strengthen, settle you. I would tell you, would turn to that verse with me, if you would. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. And in verse ten, look at it again. But the God of all grace, who hath called unto us, his, has called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Now look at that next phrase. After that ye have suffered a while. You ought to underline that. You know, the prosperity preachers want you to believe that the life of a believer is all blessing. It's all good things. It's all it's all wealth and prosperity. But that's not true. Peter said, After that, ye have suffered a while. You know what the Bible says? He that will live righteous shall suffer what? Persecution. If you desire, if you try to live for Christ, if you try to live a disciplined Christian life, you are going to suffer. You are going to have trouble. You're going to be despised. You're going to be rejected of men. You are going to have problems. But you've got to remember what Paul said. Paul said that all the suffering of this present time is not to be compared to the glory that we will share with Christ Jesus. Now listen, Christian, this is not easy. It seems like it should be easy, but it's not. It's not easy to take a slap in the face and just keep on going as if it didn't happen. That is not easy to do. And you know, that's really what Jesus meant when he said, if, if a man strike you on the cheek, turn to him the other. <coughs> What he's talking about is that in our Christian struggle, we're going to get slapped in the face. But we just need to keep our eyes on the goal line and just keep moving forward. This is not an easy thing to do. We are going to suffer. He said, after that, ye have suffered a while. So get ready for it. Get ready for it. Because it's going to come. Now, a few thoughts about God's grace and we'll be done. Letter A God's grace is seen in all dispensations in history. God's grace was seen throughout the history of man. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah! All the way back there to the beginning of time, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Revelation 22, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All the way back now to the end of, the, of, of time, Revelation chapter 22, we see the grace of God. The grace of God has been present throughout the history of man. But not only is God's grace always been with us. But secondly, letter B, God's grace is always a free gift. Can't be bought. Cannot be earned. We are saved by grace. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is a gift of God, a free gift. Can't be, can't be merited, can't be earned, cannot be purchased. Now, there's a religion. Some people say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't give, talk about by name, but I'm going to. Because this religion has my family wrapped up in its tentacles. And that's the Roman Catholic Church. Now, if that bothers you, don't ever say it, but I'm going to say it. And the Roman Catholic Church has their people to believe that they can, that they can light candles and they can pay for, for church service, they can pay for masses, and by lighting those candles and paying for those masses, they are going to pray their loved one's soul's out of purgatory. Which doesn't even exist. So they, they're, they're saying you can buy God's grace. If you give enough money. If you light enough candles. And listen, I'm telling you. This, 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 this curdles my cream. Because my daddy. Last night. Went to his church and he lent candles and he threw money in an offering plate so that my mama's soul won't stay in purgatory. You know, God's too gracious. He's too merciful to us sometimes. We don't deserve God's mercy. But it's a free gift. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks, there's a reason. There's a reason why we need to discipline our lives and walk in, in the holiness and righteousness that God gives us through Jesus. There's a reason. And that reason is because people are going to hell. and And, and religion is getting wealthier and wealthier off of men by their lies and it is time somebody tell the truth it's time you can't count on you can't count on, on Washington to tell the truth you can't you can't count on the public schools to teach the truth if it doesn't come from the pulpits in America where is it going to come from And if it doesn't come from God's people sharing their testimonies in the communities, where is it going to come from? God's grace is always a free gift. And then, let us see, God's grace always precedes his peace. Romans 1-7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase grace to you and peace was a common salutation. It is never found in the New Testament as peace and then grace. It is spiritually true that one cannot experience God's peace until he has first received God's grace. God's grace precedes peace. Oh, I have more points. I didn't know this. What do you know? I turned the page. Letter D. I got to hurry. God's grace is embodied... In Christ. God's grace is embodied in Christ. John chapter 1. And of his fullness have we all received. And grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is embodied in Christ. Letter E. God's grace is greater than man's sin. Greater than man's sin. Romans 5.20. Moreover the law entered. That the offense might abound. But where a sin abounded grace did much more abound. That's right, God's grace is greater than our sin. Letter F, God's grace was displayed at Calvary. Hebrews 2.9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. God displayed his grace at Calvary. And then lastly, God's grace makes the redeemed sinner What he is. We are not what we are by our own merit. We are what we are by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says. But by the grace of God I am what I am. But by the grace of God. I am what I am. So we saw three things today. We saw that God is good. God is merciful. And God is gracious. Thanks for being here this morning. And you are dismissed. dot